The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. All right, the podcast today is brought to you by MyBookie. Look, if you're looking for baseball, Final Four, MyBookie's the place to go. Use my promo code KevinDC to secure your first deposit bonus up to $1,000. That's KevinDC. You get to claim that free cash bonus, add even more excitement to the sports you love. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. Keep in mind, even if you have another site, you might as well take the free cash and have a place to comparison shop. Um, the guy that I'm going to talk to here right from the jump understands that. J.P. Finley from the top of the show. Tim Murray coming up a little bit later on, and we'll talk some Final Four with him. But, uh, you know, I always tell all my friends who gamble, and you're one of them, that it's always best to have more than one or two shops. You should always, if you're really taking this seriously, you know, lines are different, pricing's different, and it all adds up, man. Half points here and there, you know, minus 115s versus minus 110s, you know, better money lines. You know, after if, if you're going to be serious about this, you want to get the best numbers. It adds up at the end of the year. Oh, yeah. I think, um, you know, as all this becomes legal and you get a lot of kind of new betters in the space, I think, like, I mean – Think about where you and I live in the DMV area. In Virginia, you've got four or five legal options. You might as well shop them around, and there's apps that will show you the best lines at each place. Um, you know, in D.C., you got to use Gambit, um, which, you know, I do some work with. They're really expanding what they do. It, it's I can't wait. You and I both, I mean, hell, we live a quarter of a mile away from each other in Maryland. I can't wait to see what happens how many places come online and what do you, I think that's going to happen in May. Have you, do you have any sort of definitive timeline on that? You know what? You're probably following it closer than I am. I think, first of all, all of these places, they're giving all of us huge opportunities, you know, with sponsorships, et cetera. You know, every place sure. is different. The bottom line is legal sports betting doesn't allow you to bet on credit anywhere in any state right now. Sure. So that's, you know, that's their biggest issue. Um, is, you know, for people who have bet illegally over a long period of time, you've bet on credit. You know, you don't put up, 
you know, a hundred bucks on a game before you bet it. You, you've got a running credit line and you settle on a number that you're comfortable with and that your book is comfortable with. So, uh, you know, that, that's just a much more convenient way to do it. And, you know, what I have noticed a lot about, uh, uh, about a lot of the legal places is they have a lot of people who haven't bet before, you know, people who didn't have access to it. And, you know, it's pricey at times in some, in some of those places. Um, but you know, it's accessible to so many more people. So there, there are pros and cons to all of it. Bottom line is if you are a a better and JP is, and, and I am, if you've got one spot and you're, you're not comparison shopping on lines or you're not taking advantage of all of these offers that these places are making, they're so desperate for your business. They're giving you, they're basically giving you cash to play with. You're crazy not to take advantage of these offers like my bookie or bet MGM or, or gambit or any of them, you know, they're all, they're all giving out opportunities. And it's funny real quickly. Cause I want to talk, I, I called you because I want to talk about Rivera's presser from yesterday. Um, you know, when a lot of these people, you know, call various outlets, they want exclusivity. And the, and the truth is, I don't even think they need it. I think most betters end up having more than one spot, you know, and even if they have a spot, they're willing to try out a new spot. But anyway, that's just my thought. Uh, who no, do you, I agree. I'm with you. Who do you like in the Final Four tomorrow? I've been riding UCLA since you gave them a, a five-star stone-cold lock in the play-in game against Sparty. The only game I went against them was – I'm trying to remember what game it was. Maybe the Sweet 16 game or maybe even the 32 game. Um, but I'm just going to take the points. You got to it's 15 points in a Final Four game. I feel like you have to take that. They're going to try to just slow it down and make it ugly. I did this. It was actually a Gambit event I did earlier this week, and Jimmy Patsos was on it. And he's like, we were talking about it. He's like, listen, UCLA or Gonzaga's going to score 80. You got to get UCLA to 67. And I was like, well, let's hope Juzang can get there. <laughs> the other one I, I, I think could be a really good game. I think. Uh, I think Baylor could win it all at this point. They are just loaded. But Baylor, Baylor, you said. Seen, you said Baylor. I think Baylor could win it all. Yeah, me sure. too. Me too. But I've never seen a team that attacks the glass like Houston. I mean, just full assault on the on the offensive glass, and I think I think that causes problems for a lot of teams. But they can't really score, so we'll see what happens. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell everybody right now, and I won't even save it. My smell te- test picks for this weekend, I, I didn't give out anybody on Tuesday night because there wasn't a clear public side. But the public's loaded up on Gonzaga, they're loaded up on Baylor, and they're loaded up on both overs. So I'm giving out Houston plus five, UCLA plus fourteen, which is where it is right now, and both unders under one thirty-five and under one forty-five and a half. And let me just say this with JP here and I'll, 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 I'll talk to Marie about it as well I, I betting against Gonzaga is painful it's so painful I, I almost feel like I, I'm handing money away betting on UCLA but I'd be going away against my you know principal sort of betting theory which is 
Vegas isn't going to get beat on Gonzaga five games in a row. They didn't put out a line to have everybody bet on Gonzaga and win again. Gonzaga's 4-0 in this tournament, and the public's been on them in every single game. So maybe this is the one. I just don't know how UCLA does it. Gonzaga's so good. Anyway, this was not So can I say something real quick? Yeah, please. I I found really interesting. Um, You know Mitch Tischler that's on my podcast that I work with? You know Mitch. Of course. So Mitch is a big-time better, too, and he has been, you know, like you and I, before everything kind of became legal and apps and – he has a theory that I think, especially when you get not in the first round and not the first weekend of college football, not when there's a lot of options, right? But when you get to this level of Final Four, late in the NFL playoffs, he contends that, like, the because I'm like you, I like to be the contrarian against where the public cash is. But his contention is that there's not really a public play anymore. Because there's so much information, and there's like just go on Twitter and and search the sharps, and like every everybody will tell you where the shark money is and where the public money is, and like Murray does such an excellent job of like putting all that information out there, and, and there's all this access to that that in some ways, like my my old rule for a public play for me used to be like sixty forty sixty five thirty five. Now more and more, I need to see it at like. 75% of the actions on one side before I really feel like it's a public play. Does that make sense? Yeah, here's the thing, though. Um, I don't really look at those sites because um, I find out from you know some of the people that I have known for years offshore. I'm not going to mention sure. the various islands. And so I know where the true sweats are. Like, you know, I've, I've described it before. You know, they, they'll tell me we this is a huge decision or this is a huge sweat. Those are the way they describe them. This is the biggest sweat we have on the board. These are the three biggest decisions we have. Um, and, and, then, and then they'll say, in addition to that, we're not moving the number because there's sharp money on the anti-public side. That's what I've always sort of looked for. I've looked for... You know, because I can tell you this, like a lot of these sites, those numbers just aren't very accurate. And and there's two things. It's wager count, but it's also dollar count. And so a lot of the times when I hear huge sweat, huge decision, I want to know both. I want to know dollar count and public count because I think, you know, you get to the point where you see a number and you have a sense as a better for a long period of time you know, whether or not that line reeks a little bit and is going to attract a lot of action on one side. I like that feeling that I get when I see a number and I'm like, whoa, that number is just doesn't seem, it's not going to seem right to the betting public. So then if it's backed up with a lot of betting public money and then you see the number just stick and not move or come down uh, it, where it incense, it almost incense more you know, wagers on what I would deem to be the wrong side. That's the, those are the games that I love like Baylor this week. Yeah. Like Baylor is just sitting there at five all week. And I've already heard that this is going to be a big sweat for them. And Gonzaga is going to be a big sweat. Now the, the lines moved around a little bit on the Gonzaga game. Now I'll get worried if the Baylor line goes to six right before tip, because that means some big heavyweight sharp guy that is respected came in on Baylor with size, you know, or if Gonzaga goes to 15 and a half, 16, I'll be more concerned about it. But when I give these picks out on the podcast, it is what it is, you know, so I live with it. But yeah, I, 
I find a lot of those sites over the years don't always match up with the information that I'll get about where the real big time sweats are. Um, it, it does, you know, it's it's an indication. But if you put that together with your own knowledge of man, I saw that line and I could tell every dope friend of mine is going to be on. Oh, that's way too short. They should be they should right. be a ten point favorite, not a six point favorite, you know, or whatever. Um, sometimes that anecdotal is so helpful. Totally. I I mean, there's nothing better than football when you know you got a home dog in a night game and 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 they're getting you know even if they're a short favorite and every I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we right. Right. I mean, the NFL games. There's always that that line that comes out, and you just everybody's like, "What? That that should be much higher." Or college hoops, in particular, over the years has always been the thing in normal college basketball seasons with home crowds. You know, somehow Kansas is the number two team in the country is on the road against um, you know uh, TCU, and they're only laying two and a half or something like that. You know, those are the games that you were always like, well, you know they're going to be loaded up, and then if you see the line just sit there at two, two and a half, then you know that the guys that are taking these wagers don't mind having the big sweat. And when they don't mind well, having the having the big totally. sweat, that's when I'm always like, you know, it's time to get to the window. It doesn't always work, obviously, um, but whatever. I-, I called you for... That's the fallacy of, like, they always want it to be 50-50 action. Like, they don't always want it to be 50-50. Well, sometimes, sometimes there's no way for it to be 50-50, you know? And, but, but that yeah. is 100% a fallacy, that every single bookmaker is able to even up their books and take the VIG and walk off with a profit regardless of the result. That's just not true. Um, even though they work at it, um, you know, and in a lot of games, that's the goal. But then in a lot of games, they're like, yeah, we don't mind having a side here. Um, all right, let's, let's talk about Ron Rivera's presser yesterday where he came out and said, you know, um, and I was glad to see all of the questions about Fitzpatrick, which were great. And I, you know, I actually like these Ron Rivera pressers. I think you can learn a lot from him, you know, and I think we're starting to read him a little bit better. But he said he's going to come in as the number one, but there will be a competition. Your reaction to that is what? I think it's appropriate. I think Fitzpatrick has the biggest, certainly the longest track record of the folks that are in Washington right now. And I think... (laughs) Having been in enough practices where I've seen kind of the quarterback karaoke where, you know, Case Keenum gets work and then Haskins gets work and then Colt gets work and then Kyle Allen gets work and Haskins gets work and, you know, Kirk Cousins gets work and then Robert gets work. It, it, it's disorienting for the offense. And I think one thing that really held back Washington last season, and I think this was Haskins specifically, is that the offense didn't, like the, all of it, the receivers, the linemen, the running backs, everybody didn't really get to develop because they didn't have somebody leading the offense. And I think Fitz can go out there from day one and lead the offense with competency and, and let everybody develop in Scott Turner's system. And, and listen, I, I, when they signed him, they gave him the 10, 12 million, whatever it ends up being. He was the starter. Like, the money talks in this situation. Now, if Heineke balls out or Kyle Allen balls out, and I still think they could draft somebody, will Ron stick to his word if somebody's 
wildly better? Certainly. And, and I think that's why you sign a guy like Fitzpatrick, because it allows you that wiggle room. I'm just, I'm, I, I don't expect it. I, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick starts week one. And, you know, history would suggest that we'll see at least two quarterbacks along the way. Well, yeah. I mean, recent history definitely says that. Um, I, it's exactly what I thought he would say when they signed him. I thought he would say Ryan Fitzpatrick's our number one heading into camp, but we're going to have a competition. But I do believe that they are all on board after signing Ryan Fitzpatrick to that deal that Ryan Fitzpatrick's the starter opening day and that they hope he's the starter for 16 games and who knows, maybe even longer. I thought there were a couple of things that he said were that were interesting, and I'm going to give you this one quote. He was asked about you know the quarterback competition, and he said, you know, I said last year that one of the mistakes I made was not having a true competition. Well, it was hard to without a preseason. Um, I felt he said I felt going in the idea to give Haskins as many reps as possible to get him ready to play. This time, I know we have, I know who we have as the starter, but he's going to go in and he's going to compete with everybody else. Um, you know, on the Haskins thing, I'm just curious. I know we've talked about this before on my show, and you probably have. And by the way, for everybody, and I think hopefully everybody knows this, JP's doing middays with Brian Mitchell on 106.7 The Fan, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Plus, he's still got his podcast with his guys. But um, I just think that Ron Rivera entered 2020 with – all right, Dan, I'm, I'm going to give him every opportunity, and we're going to, we're going to give this a shot, and, but didn't really believe it in his own deep-down gut that Haskins was the guy, but because it was a season that he thought wasn't going to be a contention season, he was willing to just sort of roll out and try it. Maybe if we had had a preseason, it would have revealed itself before the opener. Do you think that that's true or not? You know, I think if there was a preseason – there's a decent chance Kyle Allen might have ended up the starter. Um, but Kyle Allen didn't look good at training camp either. Like, I was there. Alex Smith was the best-looking quarterback they had in training camp. Um, and, I, you know, we all know that everybody was freaked out about letting him on the field. So, um, I, but I wonder with Kyle Allen's kind of playing style, same thing with Heineke. I don't know that those guys – it's the same thing with the Chaser Everett. And I remember you and I talking about this last fall. Those guys can't show their game in practice because you can't play recklessly in practice. So they need game. I mean, Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke, for better or worse, throw their bodies around like most starting quarterbacks don't do. And so you're not going to see them go all out in practice. And, and in turn, it's it might hurt their ability to actually get on the field, whereas preseason games, Listen, the coaches will yell at them if they're diving in the preseason, but that's how they show their game. That's how they play their game. So I think preseason could have changed things last year, but to the greater point, looking ahead, I think Fitzpatrick's a starter. Yeah, we're in agreement on that. I'd be absolutely shocked if Ryan Fitzpatrick, barring injury, isn't the starter, and if the plan isn't for him to hopefully start 16 games on a very competitive team. Um, I guess my point was – I think deep down they knew it wasn't Haskins, but it was hard to prove that before the season ever started. So, um, you know, if we had had preseason games, he may have been able to go to Dan and say, 
It's just not even close. We got, you know, if we want to be competitive, we got to put Kyle Allen in the field. He never had the chance to do that. There was one other thing with respect to the quarterback yesterday. Um, you know, he talked about whether or not he felt feels pressure to find the quarterback of the future this year. And he said no. And he said, I say that just because of the fact that if you put all the other pieces into place now, you know, and then I'm paraphrasing the rest of it, you can go find that guy, you know, a year or two years down the road. I thought that was telling because in part because it sort of syncs up with the way I feel, which is they're not going to draft a quarterback in the first or second round. And that if they do draft a quarterback, it would be a later round and it's more developmental. Do you feel the same way or not? I do. I, I don't. I think Ron is legitimately in no hurry, and um, not to say doesn't want to compete this year and um, win the division and win playoff games. But I think, I think especially with all these trades and this, to me, crazy Mac Jones at number three talk, he knows he's not getting any of these top five guys. I don't believe top five QBs. Right. I think they're in a way that helps them at 19 possibly get a stud, whether it's, you know, one of these linebackers falls to them or, or I don't think a receiver at 19 is out of the question still. I know they've added talent with Samuel and Humphreys, but I think if you can get a star playmaker there, they, they would still do that. Um, certainly left tackles an option, but I, I think, uh, I legit think Ron's not in a hurry and he's willing to take his time. And I also think we're entering in a, an era where there's more quarterback movement than kind of ever. I mean, if you consider Tom Brady, Matt Stafford, maybe even like Kirk kind of started it going to Minnesota, but like, there's going to be more guys that become available and more guys that get frustrated with their situations. And, you know, I, I think, you know, if there's a quarterback bubble, you're better to, to sit on your hands and be liquid when the deal comes. And I, and I think that's what they want to do rather than try to make a big move for somebody they're not entirely confident in. Yeah, I mean, and he admitted, you know, yesterday they made the big move and they weren't able to get Matt Stafford. And he said, you know, there were a couple of other guys. And then, you know, and he said Fitzpatrick was always in the plans. Um, But we know that they did make the big move. All right, they didn't get it. So they're not going to reach for anybody else. They got a guy that can play quarterback this year that can start. It sounds like that they, you know, feel, I don't know, I'm optimistic about it. I, I may be insane, but I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is a good move, and I'm not so sure that he he might not quarterback this team for the next two years. Um, and especially hearing Rivera say, you know, we could look at that, you know, uh, fill out the rest of the team and figure that out a year or two year, d- down the road, meaning, you know, maybe we make a big move similar to the one that Andy Reid made a few years ago, you know, with a really good team, and then he went for it with Mahomes by trading up. Um, but yeah, I don't see, I I'm taking him at his word because it also seems intuitive to me after they missed on Stafford and that there isn't really another obvious, you know, franchise future quarterback uh, available now, certainly not Deshaun Watson. Right. And, and kind of to that point when there was discussion about Darnold and, you know, maybe roll the dice with him. Like I checked on that. Now, granted, I, che- I, I, I kind of got an answer after the Fitz move. 
But that that wasn't I, – I was told we don't want a reclamation project. So they're in it to kind of win. To say win now is, is an oversimplification because they're still building, obviously. I mean, they, they spend a bunch of money. They have a bunch of picks. But I, I, I don't think they're – looking to see if they can turn somebody around. They'd rather a plug-and-play guy like they think Fitz is. And, you know, if you want to look at the more recent body of work from Fitz, it's been pretty good. Really good. And Ron mentioned that. You know, the 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 the, the performance of the last two years have been the best of his career. By the way, what you just said would lead me to believe that there was never any interest in Mariota then. Like if they didn't want a reclamation product uh, project, then the stories about Mariota may have been a reach. But I did hear that they did reach out to Vegas, you know, about Mariota's availability. Yeah, well, I would put, and I'm not—I don't know one way or the other. I, I never—I didn't report on the Mariota stuff. But I, to me, Mariota and Darnold are entirely different. Like Mariota, I think the plug-and-play guy. Also, I mean, he's started for five seasons in the NFL and the numbers are not great, but they're doable. You know, Darnold's been awful. That's the difference. And I don't think enough people realize how bad he's been. Yeah. I I think Mariota has been pretty bad at times too. And I like Mariota. Um, but I think you and I are just in, in opposites on Darnold. I think Darnold has had moments where it's looked like he could really do it. And those moments have come against the best teams they've played over the years. But I will, I will totally agree with you. There have been moments where it's looked like it's an absolute disaster of a pick. I love Darnold coming out of USC. So I've sort of fo- I've sort of followed it, and you go through the games that he's won and played really well in. They were against teams that were desperate to win and good teams, and he was on a terrible team. Um, it'll I'm yeah, I'm bad coaching all of it. I'm fascinated to see what ends up with him. I I you know if it ended up get if you ended up being able to send a third for Darnold, you know. At this point, there's really not any room for them to do it. The problem is with Fitzpatrick is you've got to play Darnold because you've got to find out on the fifth year almost right away. So it's not going to be Washington, obviously. But it'll be interesting to see where he lands because I think we all think the Jets are going to take Zach Wilson. Um, yeah, if it was my third, I'd keep it. I'd draft somebody. Yeah. Start over. Yeah. Everything if, I've heard is, is – and, and I hope – I loved him coming out of USC. I, I, he has, and that Jets situation is awful. I think Adam Gase is a joke. I don't think he ever should have gotten a second job. Like I don't get into race and all that stuff very often, but I think that actually is an example of white privilege or whatever you want to say, that a dude that never accomplished anything and somehow got credit for helping Peyton Manning. Like Peyton Manning needed Adam Oh, oh God, I thought you were talking about Darnold, and I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? You're talking about Gase. Oh, oh yeah. Hey. No, 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 but but here's oh, the no. thing. Apparently Gase, somebody told me this a couple of years ago, that he is phenomenal in an interview, like super off-the-charts bright. But whatever. Um, yeah, he's been a joke. And the only thing that the, – the only guy that was really his major reference, it was a good one. Peyton Manning's a pretty good reference to have. 
But yeah, it's been awful. By the way, I would not if if Fitzpatrick weren't on the team, I would give up a third and a heartbeat for Darnold rather than drafting a third round quarterback in this draft. Anyway, but you know, uh, I would roll with Heineke over Darnold. I'd yeah. be more intrigued to see what you have in Taylor Heineke. Yeah. But whatever. We're, we're having an argument that doesn't. <laughs> it's it's not it's not applicable. Um, get 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 in. Get your get ready for your show. I appreciate you giving me time as always. You can listen to JP uh, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on JFK 106.7 The Fan with B Mitch, and of course he's still got his podcast and all the other things that he does. Um, I'll talk to you uh, soon, and we'll get out and play golf soon. Where are you watching the game Saturday night? I don't know. Why? What are you doing? Right, that could be interesting. I don't know. I'll, I'll probably be on my porch. I'll, I'll shoot you a text. I, I, I get my kids. I, I'm, I'm going to be, depending on how chilly it is, there is the possibility of golf tomorrow morning leading into a men's grill Final Four uh, doubleheader. Uh, but, I think, but I think it's supposed to be really cold, windy, and maybe even uh, nasty tomorrow. And I, I'm just, right now... I thought Saturday... I have a eleven thirty seat time. I thought Saturday was when we finally. Sunday's really nice. Tomorrow is questionable. So go play golf on me. All right. Well, we'll we'll talk later. Have a good one. All right, man. Take care. Thank you. JP Finley, everybody. My good friend Tim Murray up next, right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's bring in uh, my good friend Tim Murray um, from the VEASAN Network. He's got his show on that network uh, tw- uh, 10 to 1 Eastern uh, at nights. You can listen to it, hopefully, wherever you live. If you're living somewhere where the show's piped in, and, of course, you can get it many other ways. Why don't you tell everybody how they can get it? Yeah, the iHeart app. I know a lot of people have that app, so the iHeart app is an easy way to get that bad boy for free. Uh, stream it wherever you are or uh, the VEASAN app, VEASAN.com. Uh, you can also check out my beautiful mug. I know everyone wants to see it, Kevin. It's, uh, it's, it's, looking, it's looking good these days. <laughs> the name of the show is The Nightcap uh, with Tim Murray, so uh, tune in for that. And um, as he says on his Twitter description, um, right below the the beautiful picture of Timmy. Um, he is the single season record holder for the worst free throw percentage in Muhlenberg College history. What was your free throw percentage there in deep uh, free ball? I, 
Uh, so my junior year, I went eight for 31 from the free throw line. <laughs> really? Yeah. Why? I, I don't know. It's mental. It, it's all mental. And it's not like we played in front of big crowds. I still, to this day, don't understand because uh, shout out to the Heights. Uh, I was a good, you know, not a great, but I was a good free throw shooter in high school, probably around high 60s, low 70s, somewhere in that ballpark. I was never a hack-a-shack situation. Uh, and then in college, I, I have no idea what it was, Kev. I, um, you know, it was, it was a mental thing. I think the most astonishing thing about that number going eight for 31 from uh, the free throw line my junior year is that I had a four for four game. So, I had, oh my I went, God. So you're so four, I was four, four for 27. For tw- that's, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, that you left a <laughs> lot of points on the board, man. Of, well, it's you, funny. People always ask me too. They're like, Oh, was it, was it hack a shack? I'm like, no, I didn't play nearly enough. If, if your game plan was to, to foul the backup center, you know, midway through the first half, you, you've got, you got bigger issues. So, uh, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know what it was. I did improve my senior year. I went nine for twenty three my senior year. So do, you know, do you know what the better. do you know what the Wizards were last night as a team from the free throw line? Uh, I, I got to imagine poor, not as poor as me, but pretty bad. Westbrook was one for six. He's shooting sixty one percent. He's had some horrific games from the free throw line. But last night the Wizards in their twenty nine point loss to the Pistons. They were 6 for 19 from the free throw line. The 31.6% free throw shooting percentage in a game is the lowest in franchise history. The last time something even came close was 1962. They were 8 for 25 against the Knicks. They shot 32%. Last night was the worst free throw shooting, team free throw shooting percentage night in franchise history. Um, by the way, they, they were the Chicago Packers. <laughs> when they when the, when they last came close to it, I didn't even realize that that um, existed. You know, obviously, I know that they were the Baltimore Bullets, and I'm just old enough to remember when the Baltimore Bullets moved um, to DC. But I don't really and could not tell you what they were prior to that. Um, although I'm looking it up right now to see when they were. They were obviously the Chicago Packers in 1962. Um, yeah, the franchise was Packers, I didn't the franchise was established in 1961 as the Chicago Packers. Then they became the Chicago Zephyrs, and we have seen that Zephyrs throwback uniform before. And yeah. then they became the Baltimore Bullets, then the Capital Bullets for one year when they moved here, and then they changed to the Washington Bullets and the event, and eventually the Washington Wizards. By the way, quick free throw shooting thing. So I um for many many years. I remember my high school free throw shooting percentage to be 90% plus. Ooh, there you go. Hold on for a second. Um, I was an excellent free throw shooter. (laughs) I was, um, you know, if there was a technical foul, I was the guy that went and shot the techs. Um, In fact, I remember a game my senior year at BCC. The coach got hit with two techs and a player got hit with a tech. I went to the free throw line for five free throws in like a four-point game, went five for five on the road on a Friday night at BCC um, with, you know, all the screaming fans. However, here's why I bring it up. So I've always sort of thought, I'm pretty sure I was like 90% plus as a high school free throw shooter. Well, about three years ago, a bunch of guys that I played high school basketball with, shout out to Bill Bonner and Mike Votaw and Jim Fagan and Mike Joseph and everybody else. Um, We started to get together like once a year around Thanksgiving time. 
you know, drink some beer, solve all the world's problems, and, sure. you know, remember all the girls that we tried to date that we had no chance of dating. Um, and just last year during the pandemic, one of the guys sent around, he had saved the stat sheet from our senior year. I was not a 90% free throw shooter. I was a 79% free throw shooter. And, and well, so, I mean, as, as time goes on, you always get better or you get worse. I, I'm very self-deprecating, so I like to say that I, you know, I sucked and, and things like that. But, no, I, it, it is funny how, how we always uh, embellish a little bit uh, on, uh, on, on stats and stuff but it like wasn't, that. But here's the thing. If I had been so good, I would have so had, good. I would have had no issue had I been a 79% free throw shooter or thought that I was saying, yeah, I was just okay. I was 79%. But for whatever reason, it was in my mind for all those years that I was a lights out free throw shooter because I, you know what? I'm like a corner. I just, I, I forgot all the misses. It was on to the next shot. You know, shooters will shoot. And that's the one thing I was never bashful about doing at any level um, was shooting the basketball, much to the dismay of many teammates over the years. Hey, like Sheehan, maybe pass it once or twice. Um, you, know, you know what's funny to go down memory lane is you know I, I'm six six roster said six seven, um, and in high school playing Catholic basket Catholic hoops. Now I didn't play in the WCAC, but we always played the big boys and right. got our ass kicked by them. Um, but I was a four in high school. I was still the tallest guy, but you know I was skinny and I, I like all big men wanted to shoot. And I, I had a little stroke in high school, and then I got to college. College basketball for me, you know, I played D three ball. Um, it sucked because they made me a center and I just, I didn't shoot one three my entire collegiate career. <laughs> oh, no. And I shot, I shot probably upwards of 50 in, in high school, you know, over my junior and senior year. So it's just kind of funny how, and, and I don't know, maybe that was what uh, sucked the life out of me as a, as a good shooter. The funny thing is I think my junior year from the field, I was like 55% and from the free throw line, I was whatever that was like 27 or something insane like that. But uh, whatever. Yeah, I, I I like to say that I was a, a record holder and, and have a little fun about it. I, it was a couple of years ago I reached out to the SID at Muhlenberg, and I said, hey, I was just thinking about this. Has there ever been anyone who shot worse from the free throw line? And he looked it up, and he said, my numbers only go back to, like, 1985, but you're the worst. I was like, <laughs> all right, great. <laughs> uh, well, you have to have a minimum number of attempts, but yeah, you, you was, may have reached was, that minimum I with said, 31. Like, I, I think I gave him a minimum of like 20 or 25 and uh, oh, yeah, eight funny. for 31. Well, the funny thing, when, the, when this stat sheet from our senior year came back, um, I've told this story to many people, including Tommy before. I don't know if I've ever shared it with you, but we, my senior year, you said you were six, seven in high school. Our tallest player was six, four. By the way, his name was Anthony Dilwig. He went on to set ACC passing records playing for Steve Spurrier's team at really? Duke. He was Spurrier's first quarterback at Duke, and he set he broke Ben Bennett's records and played in the NFL for the Packers for a few years. But anyway, Anthony was our biggest player at 6'4". And so what we made up for with lack of size was lack of quickness and, <laughs> and lack of, of, of leaping ability and everything else. Although, actually, I high-jumped. I shouldn't say that. But, um, but, 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 but we, were, we were slow. We were not very athletic. We weren't very big. And we played stall ball um, for 
basically four-fifths of our senior season because the first fifth of the season, we got blown out like by 20 points in our first four games. And then our coach came in and said, well, we can't play normally. And we installed a double high post delay offense. We took nothing but backdoor layups. Our first game, um, for those of you that have heard this story, sorry for being repetitive, but I don't think I've told Tim the story. Our first game was at Blair. Blair was ranked 10th in the city. It was 3-2 to two at halftime. Oh. And we lost the game 19-18 to 18 in double overtime. And then, Timmy, we became so proficient running this that our scores actually climbed into the 30s and even the 40s because we were just lulling people to sleep and then backdoor layup after layup. And um, we we won, I think it was eight of our final 11 games. We missed the playoffs uh, on the final night of the season. We beat Springbrook, but we needed, I think, um, I think we needed Gaithersburg or somebody like that to lose. I'm sorry, we beat BCC in our final game. We needed Springbrook to lose. That's what it was. And they didn't. Nobody, nobody wanted to play us had we gotten in. (laughs) Nobody did. And if we had gotten in, we would have had a chance. And I'll tell you real quickly, in the state finals that year was Vernon Butler's half-court shot for high point to beat Len Bias's Northwestern team in the state finals at Cole Fieldhouse. It's one of the famous um, Maryland State Championship games of all time. Um, Vernon Butler, who went on to play at Navy, hit a basically, it wasn't a half court shot, but it was a like a 35 to 40 footer at the buzzer to beat that Northwestern team. Um, so no Montgomery County teams made it to the championship game, but Seneca Valley that year was really, really good in basketball. And you remember Seneca Valley, as we all do, oh, being really football. good in football. Oh, they yeah. were actually loaded in basketball that year. Doug Turner, Earl Hill, they had at one point in the Washington Post poll, they were the number one team in the area. They beat Dunbar. Um, in uh, Dunbar, D.C. Now, look, if they had played DeMatha, they probably, you know, they would have lost by 20. If they had played St. John's. That was always what drove me crazy, Kev, about those, what was it, early to mid-90s Seneca Valley teams. And, hey, if there's any uh, Seneca Valley Eagles out there that want to prove me wrong, but the Post always put them one and DeMatha two. And I remember my brother, well, no, my sister was 10 years older than me, so her you know, boyfriend at the time went to DeMatha, and I think he was like, this is ridiculous. Like, we would have destroyed Seneca Valley. So we always – there was always those – I remember watching News Channel 8, the Friday night highlights. <laughs> right. Oh, man, it was the best. Uh, but I, I always wanted to see that DeMatha-Seneca Valley game. We never got it. Yeah, well, you know, I, look – I went to public school. I have a lot of friends that played sports in the WCAC or the IAC that are my age. And back then, like, you know, the county schools kept some of their better players, but they lost some of them. Now they lose all of them. Like now there is a massive difference between the public schools and the private schools because with AAU, if you're any good, you're going to get scooped up and you're going to end up at a private school. Back when I was in high school and maybe even back when you were in high school, not every talented kid left the public schools, whether it was in Montgomery or PG or Fairfax. You know, there were still some good teams. But with that said, 
Um, Seneca Valley did beat Dunbar, D.C. I'll never forget that game. They beat them. Um, but, you know, would they have beaten DeMatha that year or would they have beaten St. John's or would they have gone on to beat Northwestern if they had made it? And actually, I think they got beat by Gaithersburg in like the uh, region final. Um, Gaithersburg was really good that year. In our rematch, we lost one of the first four games we lost was to Seneca Valley by like 30. In the rematch, we lost 38-37 in overtime against, at that point, they were the number one team. Again, for those of you that are listening that know the difference, I understand what the Post has done over the years. The Post has, you know, they've got a readership and subscribers to appeal to. They can't make the whole top 20 in high school boys and girls sports all the private schools in the area. They can't do that. That's why you see, you know, QO and some other, you know, Wise, although Wise has had some very good teams in recent years. There's some really good teams. There I are mean, some good teams in Virginia, too. But, yeah. but you know, like, you know, Gonzaga in football, remember, went and played the, the best team in Northern Virginia a few years ago, and, and it was on national. It was like on ESPN, and it was a whole lot to a little bit. You know, um, I know some of the county schools in Montgomery County will play teams like Prep, you know, or Landon, and you know, if if it's usually not that competitive in football, sometimes it's a little bit closer in basketball because all you need is a you know one or two really good players to at least be competitive. But in football, it's usually not very competitive. Um, I tell you, Kevin, I you know I know we're going to get into college hoops here, but yeah. you know, I graduated high school in uh, in '05. Wait, you went to? Uh, did you go to? Where'd you go? I forget. I went to St. John's for a year, then I transferred and went to the Heights. In the Heights, right? So, exactly. Um, so I graduated from there, and you know, we like I said, we played all the all the big boys, and you know, we played Gonzaga, we played St. John's, we played we played Riverdale my senior year. That had Mike Beasley and Nolan Smith on it. That was fun. Yeah, false uh, <laughs> by fifty nine. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I I feel like high school hoops in the D.C. area has gotten better over the years. No I mean, doubt. Paul the VI wasn't what they are no, now. They weren't even uh, there, were they? Yeah. Well, they were there. I remember when I was at St. John's, you know, we'd go to Fairfax and play Paul the VI. They were in the conference, and you never thought anything of it. Um, but I always tell people this about D.C. hoops. My junior year in high school, so that was the 03-04 season, we played St. John's. And St. John's had a starting lineup of Dante Cunningham, who went to Villanova and is maybe still playing in the league, uh, Dwayne Anderson, Villanova, Chris Wright, Georgetown, Nolan Smith, Duke. Yeah. That was their starting lineup. Now, yeah. granted, Wright was a freshman and Smith was a freshman. They were middle of the pack, WCAC. They weren't even, like, contending. I mean, it, it's just ridiculous, the talent in the D.C. area. And, and everyone sees it. You know, you're like, oh, that guy went to – I mean, look at Luca Garza. Dude went to Murray. I don't even think was he first team all met. I don't even think so. Uh, yes. And the dude's the greatest player in Iowa history. It's really, um, you know, having coached a lot over the last many years and being in a lot of gyms and watching a lot of high school basketball. Um, it's amazing what you see, and it's amazing how many. You know, I'll, I'll give you examples. I've been in, uh, you know, I've been in summer league gyms. I saw Garza in summer league, and I'm like, yeah, he's pretty good. You know, it's, but it wasn't like he's He'll gonna go be to the na- two thousand points and be the yeah national player, player of the year. Of the year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I didn't see that. I'll give you the perfect example. I, I remember also um, Ricky Lindo. Remember he played at Maryland. He yeah. transferred to GW. 
I remember I'm sitting in a gym watching a summer league game that I think my son was playing in, or maybe it was the game after, and somebody comes over to me and says, that, see that dude, he's, he's a D1 player, he, he might reclass. And, I, and I'm, I'm sitting there watching, and uh, he wasn't anywhere near like the best player in the game. Now he was long, and he was, you know, he, he, he was a rebounder, and you could tell there was some. But I, I can't tell you how many times over the last 10, 15, 20 years I've been in a gym, and then, but by the way, to be fair, sometimes these kids develop a little bit later. You know, um, I didn't think, I didn't think Roy Hibbert would be. Oh my God, he couldn't walk he would... and chew gum at the same time. So he was so uncoordinated. I'm a year younger than Roy. Yeah. And I went, you know, and and I think your kids did this, I imagine, too. When you're in eighth grade and I went to, you know, shout out St. Elizabeth. uh, I went and shadowed. St. Rockville, everybody. Oh, yeah. That's Montrose Road. That is a close knit parish. That's for sure. (laughs) Uh, But I went and shadowed uh, uh, Georgetown Prep and. Uh, who uh, Dwayne Bryant was the coach at the time. Right. And uh, he knew, you know, he had seen me on the CYO circuit dropping buckets for the St. E's. Right. So my, my host was Roy Hibbert and he showed me around that day. And I, I remember thinking, I'm like, damn, this dude is tall, but doesn't, not very coordinated. And then as the years went on, I mean, you remember his senior year, uh, was the the tallest front court like in in college and high yeah. school hoops history, and they didn't win the IAC. I, well, and St. I St. Albans was really good. I, that year, I went to way. a couple of those games. So uh, name Kazada and I mean that team. That name Albans the other two was, big guys. The one kid went to Vanderbilt. Uh, um, Nawanko and yeah. um, it was uh, was it and and they also had uh, their starting five. If I can remember off the top of my head, it was Danny Gladding. Yeah, who, who was, was a good you know, lacrosse player too. Um, a great lacrosse play. He won a yeah. national title at UVA. Uh, they had uh, Rice Moss, Santana Moss's cousin, something like that, um, who went and played uh, football at Syracuse. They had Davis Nawanko, I believe that was his name, Roy, and then I forget the other guy. Who Harris was- Williams? Does that sound right? I can't remember. I just remember they had three big had dudes three, that were six, all six nine, six nine, seven two. Yeah, and and they were you know the the one guy that you mentioned, Nawanko or whatever, I think went to Vanderbilt. Sounds right. And then Hibbert went to Georgetown. Who? Somebody. The other one went to Valpo. I thought. I don't know, yeah. Somebody. Somebody's listening out there and will tweet Tim um, or or me with the answer to that. I watched that team play a bunch of games. I remember. Watching Dwayne coach and and Dwayne um, was at prep for a while and then Herb Cruzen um, replaced him. Herb was really a good coach. Um, shout out to Herb if anybody's seen him recently. I, I hope he's well um, and doing well. Um, the uh, I'll never forget they were getting pressed by St Albans in that final and for whatever reason prep was really struggling with the press and i'm looking at roy hibbert all the way down at the other floor and i, I all i want i wanted to scream dwayne you've got a 7 foot 2 guy they couldn't get the ball in bounds against the press i'm like just bring him down to the free throw line and throw it way up in the air and let him catch it and and it was just so frustrating to watch and i remember cuz dwayne did a really good job at prep but that particular yeah. game i think it was the game against st albans they may have played somebody else but man when you when you have a huge big guy and you're getting pressed and you're struggling with the pressure you got to use your big guy against the pressure you know, you got to use him as an outlet, um, and uh, and they never did. But I, I, um, 
That St. Albans team was they kicked our ass. That, Manny Cazada, I think he went to San Francisco. They had uh, Adrian Dantley's son was on that team um, uh, as one of their guards. Um, but you know, one. But final back story. to him, but but one yeah, thing yeah. real quickly because you mentioned Hibbert. When I was watching him, he, he really struggled to make it up and down the court. And, you know, had feet that were crossing over. He was uncoordinated. It's really an amazing job that JT3 did with him because Absolutely. he what he was, you know, when they made their final four run did not resemble even anywhere near the player we watched in high school. No, no. And then and then he had a really a prosperous career for the Pacers yeah. for a while. I Definitely. mean, it was it was it was remarkable. I, I remember when he signed with Georgetown, I, you know, I was in high school. I'm like, this kid, really? And then little, uh, then I'm drinking beers and I'm like, oh my God, he's in the final four, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, um, and I'll just give you, I mean, this is how great DC hoops is slash was. I remember I, we had practice and uh Bullis was right down the road from my high school. Uh, and they always had that Christmas tournament, yeah. uh, which was usually pretty good. Not, not like not to, not the same as like the Gonzaga Christmas tournament, which was amazing, uh, but it was always good. And I remember going into the gym. It was a first round game, like three o'clock in the afternoon on a you know a Friday before Christmas or whatever. And we're sitting there. It's a pretty decently packed gym, and it's good counsel against Spalding, and it was Rudy Gay against James Gist. <laughs> it's like doesn't it? it just, just a random game, and there you go. Two future NBA players going head-to-head. Well, it's funny that you mentioned Rudy Gay. So last night he had a decent game. Um, uh, who's he playing for? Why? I was watching highlights of him He's this ba- morning. Is it the Spurs? He's still on the Spurs? Is he on the Spurs? He hit a big shot for the Spurs last night, maybe. That's exactly yeah, not, what it was against the, Spurs, the Hawks. Yeah. The Hawks game was the double overtime game last night. Um, with, by the way, Kevin Herter not scoring. That, that's one of those box scores I'll check out just to see how Herter and Fernando do. Bruno barely even plays. Um, anyway, uh, Rudy Gay had a big game last night, and he had a couple of big shots. They lost the game, and I'm like, how old is Rudy Gay? Because you have to understand, the first time we heard Rudy Gay's name was essentially when there was all the controversy over UConn versus Maryland and why he did not go to Maryland and why he ended up at UConn. And that's a Jim Calhoun UConn story. You know, AAU, um, lots of different things going on there, but we we won't get into all the details. But I thought he was much older than he is. He's 34. Yeah. I, I was thinking that it was like the early to two thousands that, but he 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 left UConn as a nineteen year old in two thousand six and was drafted eighth overall by Houston. So there you go, DC area man, DC area, DC <laughs> Baltimore area. You put the two together. I know we 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 talk about it all the time, and some of you couldn't give a shit. Sorry, um, but the DC Baltimore area when it comes to hoops, and by the way, I'd throw I'd throw girls hoops into the into the conversation oh, as well. Hell yeah, um, there just isn't anything close to it. I, I mean, I'm sure p- people in Chicago and people in New York and Philly and and L.A. You know, would say it's you know th- they've got great hoops and they do. But the combined yeah, New, markets, yeah, New Jersey too. I mean, yeah, yeah there's, but there's... the combined DC Baltimore region produces. Well, I mean, PG County uh, has more NBA players by like seven or eight over the next closest county in the country. 
Right. Um, so that's all you need to know. Uh, whatever. Um, we got sidetracked here, but that was <laughs> that was fun. Uh, I, I, three I, people enjoyed that conversation. Well, it, what's, we what sucks for me is since, you know, the, over the last couple of years, I'm, I have not coached in last year during the pandemic, not at all, even though I was planning on doing it. And, um, and there hasn't been a lot of high school sports here over the last year, yeah. which really sucks. Um, and it really stinks for the kids, especially those kids who are seniors um, and didn't get to have normal you know, senior um, years. Um, look, before we get to the Final Four and, you know, we can talk a little bit about Roy Williams, I, I want to ask you something because I we had this conversation, I had this conversation with Cole Kublik, am, among others. Um, Cole does a great job for the SEC Network yeah, he really and ESPN. Um, he, I had him on the show this morning. And um, so what you, you and I both love college football. What co- – Give me the quarterback order for you. And I'm not talking about just the first round. I'm talking about after the first round. Because McShay's got Washington taking Kellen Mond in the second round. And I am not a fan of that. But give me your QB order for the draft. Uh, Lawrence won. Um, I feel like I'm getting sucked into the Wilson hype. I yeah, we actually talked about this on my show last night because, you know, McShay's most recent mock has Fields going 11. Um, but, man, I would say my personal uh, rankings would be well, obviously Ian Book would be, you know, far and away better than everybody because <laughs> okay. he's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lawrence one, Fields two, Wilson three. Um, I'm intrigued by, by, uh, by, by Lance. So I think the, the, uh, the the prospect of him is is four, and then, you know, I, I like Mac Jones. I think he's kind of Kirk Cousins ish, uh, which is a very solid quarterback. But I don't know how high the ceiling is on Mac Jones. Um, so I, I think the hype's getting a little overblown on on Mac Jones. All right, then uh, who? You gave us the first five in your order. That's fine. Then who? Because now we're into the second round. Unless somebody, you know, we've seen yeah. this happen before. People get desperate. They trade up into the late first or whatever um, to try to take a guy. Who's your next guy? Uh, Trask, I guess. I, I'm not high on Mond. I, I'm not. Me neither. Uh, I, I, it really is. It's a pretty, it's a really sizable gap from from five to six. Um, you know who's you know who's good. Is um, Peyton Ramsey? You're gonna say Davis Mills from Stanford. Oh, from Stanford. He's solid. Yeah, I'm but not, none of these guys. None I, of these I guys. I don't really to know me, Davis Mills' game. I, I think you know he's, he had, he got injured. You know, call up Stanford Steve. He'll tell you more about Davis Mills than me. But uh, um, and I'm now here's I'm saying as a backup. I'm telling you, man, book can play as a backup. Now, I like, I'm saying I like as book. A, as a I, I think book is I if. The Arizona Cardinals could do a lot worse than Ian Book backing up Kyler Murray because he he he's athletic, he you know he he can make plays with his legs. He's got a good enough arm, but no, I I don't know who in this draft, Kevin. After after those five, you're like that guy could be our future quarterback. I I don't I I, I guess the one name I'm intrigued about, and we didn't see him play this year, and I would as a flyer take him in the second or third round would be Jamie Newman. Yeah, I loved him at Wake. It's too bad we didn't get a chance to see him play. Hey, opt out of this SEC. year at Georgia. Yeah. I think 
you know, and he was, you know, there was buzz about him winning the Heisman Trophy this year. I, I do wonder, though, there's a reason he opted out. Now, maybe he he wanted to because of, of COVID reasons. And if, if so, that's that's his decision. But I, I have a sneaky suspicion it was more, I'm not winning this job. Let me, you know, sit out the year. I, I Maybe I'm wrong. But Jamie Newman always intrigued me. I, I loved that when he went to Georgia and then, you know, I never saw him play. Um, so I would say, I guess... To, to answer your question, after five, I would go Jamie Newman just because of the intrigue of what he is. He's big. He's, he's, he's mobile. He's got a good arm. Uh, I think he would be a fun – I think he would be an interesting project if you picked him like the third round. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I like Trask. I've liked Trask since the night he came in for Felipe Franks. Um, you know, he's different because he's not mobile, but he's big and strong, and he – throws accurately and he takes chances and he throws, you know, tight window throws and he had a lot of talent too. I mean, you know, Tony and Pitts, you know, all, all of those things. I was just curious. Um, Real uh, quickly, you... I'll just give you uh Dane Brugler over the athletic. He, I, I respect his opinion. Yeah. He's coming on with me next week. Uh, his, his order is Lawrence Wilson fields, Lance Jones. Then it's Davis Mills. Kyle Trask, Ian Book, Kellen Mond after Book, and Jamie Newman ten. Yeah, see, I'm we look. We saw a lot of Mond over the last two years because A and M played in a lot of high profile games. We didn't see a lot of Newman. We didn't see a lot of Mills. We saw a lot of Trask, and we saw a lot of Mond. You know, there's uh, of of those the group of of the next guys. Mond had a great game against Florida this year. And that turned everybody around on him because if you watched him in 2019, he at times didn't look like he had a chance to play in the NFL. And, and, and at best, I think, you know, he would have been a fourth or fifth round selection. He had that big game against Florida this year. He played pretty well against Bama. But I pointed out to somebody the other day, neither one of those two teams were great defensively. Florida really stunk defensively this year. The good defensive team he played, he was horrible against Clemson. He played terrible in that game. I, I just, I, I've watched him a lot, for probably because I was on the other side or on his side um, <laughs> in a game, but I don't see him as a second-round quarterback, and I would no. be upset if Washington took him. Anyway. And, and, and let me just uh... – uh, for my for my boy book there, uh, you know size is an issue. He's like he's six foot. He ran a four five nine though at pro day, uh, so he's he's quick. Um, but you, you talked about you know Kyle Trask. You get to throw to Pitts, who's a freak of nature, and Kadarius Tony, who's also a first round pick. This year, now last year he had Chase Claypool. This year Notre Dame goes to the college football playoff. Ian Book doesn't isn't throwing to any pros out there. Maybe you know we well, did last tight- year. Last year he had Claypool, yeah. and the year prior he had um, played well, Komet too. Last year he had Komet and Claypool two years ago, um, yeah, but this past year he didn't have any pros. So right. I don't know. It, fourth round, you could do worse. Right. All right. Uh, let's get to the hoops <laughs> right after this word from one of our sponsors. 
you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, Tim Murray with me. Um, before we get to the final four games, who replaces Roy at Carolina? Ooh, uh, Hubert Davis. The odds. Um, <laughs> it's Hubert Davis, Wes Miller. Um, I don't think it's going to be Wes Miller. I uh, really don't. And then, and then Turgeon's way up there. Turgeon's How about up- Roy? Roy was Roy mentioned Turgeon like I, I know Aaron Oster, who produces both our shows. Uh, he's he's all on board of hey, maybe Turgeon will leave. Uh, he he mentioned Turgeon a whole bunch of times in his. They're uh, very his good post-game. friends, and Mark thinks a lot of Turgeon. I, I'll mention what I mentioned to Tommy yesterday. I don't know anything for sure, uh, but I know some things, and I would just lean heavily in the direction that Mark's going to be back on a contract extension here at Maryland. Um, I I'm not reporting that. Uh, I don't know it for sure. But I do believe that they certainly have had discussions about um, a a contract extension. Whether or not they can get to an agreement on one, you know, Mark might want more years or more money, and, and Damon Evans, the athletic, athletic director, might want less years, less money. Um, but I do think um, that that there is a desire to talk extension and I would bet if you force me to bet one way or the other I would bet that within the next you know few days um that uh there's a contract extension for Turgeon that's just a guess I want to make sure everybody understands I'm (laughs) not reporting reporting that um but I would lean in that direction and of course that's my hope um as well um Hubert yeah for UNC um, Matt Norlander for CBS Sports, and I, I tend to agree. He he said that North Carolina is the best job in college basketball with the tradition, with the recruiting base, the Jordan ties. He wasn't saying that it's leaps and bounds better than Kentucky or Duke, but he said in his opinion, and I tend to agree with everything in included in it, the conference that they play in, the facilities that they have, the fan base, the campus, um, it's the best job in college basketball. 
And I, I don't, I, I wouldn't put up much of a fight against that. Um, to me, the best job is either Carolina or Kentucky. It's yeah. one of the two. I would probably lean Carolina because it's just in a better basketball conference. You know, it's in a it's in a conference with more basketball first schools. And Kentucky's always been in a league that it is dominated for the most part. Um, not that Carolina hasn't had, you know, uh, incredible uh, success in the league as well. The reason Duke wouldn't be at the level of North Carolina is that in in look there you could say people have compared to me before in the past Georgetown and Duke like once the Thompsons are gone Georgetown can't be anything well that's not necessarily true but that was a big part of what Georgetown was it was John Thompson Jr and JT3 and the family um, Shashevsky, a lot of people feel like if Shashevsky leaves, like he's been the program. It's really not true. You know, Foster was there prior to uh, Shashevsky, and they were in a national championship game. And Duke was in Final Fours in the '60s, and you know, with uh, Bubis or whatever the guy's name was that coached. You know, long before I started watching it. Um, but I think Carolina, big state school. By the way, the preferred school in the state of North Carolina. not even close. Yeah, I mean. Not even close. I think, you know, you and I understand this stuff, and I think a lot of times people that are just sort of on the periphery of following it, they don't understand. And in the state of North Carolina, the number one followed team in the state of North Carolina is the North Carolina men's basketball team. And there is no close second. Maybe the Charlotte, maybe the Carolina Panthers are, are second somewhere. Um, you know, behind them. And then, you know, Duke is actually probably even behind NC State. Remember, the alum and the size of the schools of North Carolina and NC State are much larger than Duke. So you have a much bigger alum pool, and most of the alums are from there, whereas Duke is very much a Northeastern, for the most part, you know, student body worldwide. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, and I I would compare it, not at Duke is to a much higher level than Georgetown, but folks in the DC area, Maryland obviously dominates Georgetown for fans, right? I mean, it's a very niche group of, of Georgetown fans in the DC area. We, we have friends obviously or Georgetown alums and and fans, Um, but Duke's similar Duke. So Duke's a national brand. And I'll give you a quick example. Um, you know, as a kid, I grew up, you know, in the DC area, I wasn't a Maryland fan. I had no ties to the area because my folks aren't from Maryland. So I liked, I gravitated towards players and I liked Grant Hill. So I liked Duke as a kid. I don't anymore. I don't Mm -hmm. anymore. Um, but we were down, uh, at my brother, my brother went to college in North Carolina. Um, and we were watching the final four, sorry to bring up bad memories of Duke in Maryland. And I was at a bar or, you know, restaurant bar, whatever. And I didn't, I that was my first uh, realization that, wow, no one likes Duke. I mean, the entire bar yeah. was erupting when Maryland went up because they hate Duke so much. And that, was, that wasn't North Carolina uh, playing. It was Maryland playing, but it was the disdain for Duke in the state of North Carolina uh, yeah, it is. It is not even close. Oh, it oh, is oh North listen. Carolina, way, 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 way higher. Over the years of being in the ACC, I had friends that went to UVA and Carolina and and Wake um, and Clemson, 
And all of us, they, they, whenever we were playing Duke, they were all rooting for Maryland. Whenever you know someone else was rooting for uh, playing Duke, we were. It was it was all an anti-Duke thing. I mean, I, I, you know, there were Carolina friends that we just referred we just referred to Shashevsky not even by name. He was just the rat, you know. And that's what he would you know. Did you see what the rat did today. See what he was complaining about. See how he was, you know, talking, you know, condescendingly, you know, or, or, or and 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 by the way, in all honesty, I've I think Shashevsky is a phenomenal coach, and the program is one of the greatest programs in the history of the sport. And being a part of the as an ACC fan, I was always proud to be in a league, even though we were third behind Carolina and Duke, and a distant third, you know, historically. But it was it was you know. It was part of, I've said this so many times, it was just part of your identity as a, as a sports fan. But to your point about Maryland and Georgetown in the D.C. metro area, a lot of people say, well, there are more Georgetown fans in D.C., but more Maryland fans in the total DMV. Well, wow. that's true, maybe. Bottom line is Maryland just dwarfs Georgetown in terms of alum in the area. A lot of the Georgetown alum aren't from here. They're from everywhere else. And a lot of the Maryland alum are from here. And so not to mention, you know, it's a school five times the size as Georgetown. You know, if you look at over the years, whether it's attendance or television ratings, Maryland's dominated Georgetown. Now, with that said, Georgetown had a national brand. Right. They they were a national sports brand, international almost, during many of those years. That Maryland couldn't come anywhere near that. But locally, and by the way, it's one of the things that used to piss the Thompsons off. I had conversations with them, you know, with Coach about, you know, they, they couldn't stand. This is one of these things where... Uh, we're getting long-winded here, and but I remember people would say, "No, I'm sort of a Maryland and Georgetown fan." I'm like, "No, if you're really hardcore one or the other, you aren't a fan of the other one too." And no one, you know, sort of backed me up on that more than Coach Thompson would. They hated Maryland. They hated the ACC because here they were, a national brand, you know, one of the most popular sports brands in the country for about two decades. And in their own market, the ACC and Maryland actually trumped them in terms of interest. But that was because of the alum base. You know, it was just a numbers game. Maryland had an on-campus arena that was, you know, packed to the rafters and was in, you know, whether it was Cole or Xfinity, was one of the toughest places in the country to play. Georgetown had to go to the had to go to Capital One Arena to play. It was just different. But Georgetown, I, I remember some of those conversations with Coach, and he would say, "You're a hundred percent right." He said, "This is why he I, early on. This is why I know you're a Maryland fan at heart because you admit to me that." You couldn't stand Georgetown. And if you had said anything else, I would have called you a fraud. And, um, yeah, if you were really hardcore as a Maryland fan in the 80s, you hated to see the success Georgetown was having. It was massive. And it dwarfed Maryland on a national scale. Not to mention, Lefty couldn't get to a Final Four, and Thompson was going to many of them and won a national championship. Fortunately, Gary came around and turned the tables um, again. Uh, anyway, um, all right, uh, let's talk about the final four. Um, we'll, we'll do the betting discussion after we sort of look at both games. 
Analyzing both games, I think Baylor and Gonzaga are head and shoulders above every other team in this field, including Michigan when they lost livers. I would have had Michigan right there had they, you know, had livers. But in watching the games, you know, throughout this tournament, it's clear to me that nobody's close to these two teams. And in fact, I think Baylor can beat Gonzaga on Monday night. Now, I may bet these games differently here in about 10 minutes, but Baylor's perimeter defense is UNLV-esque from 90 and 91 with the length and the athleticism. Their guards are tremendous. My favorite player in this tournament, remember we, we had a conversation, Timmy, at some point, and I said, I haven't watched Baylor a lot. And then they went on the COVID pause, and I Davion really didn't Mitchell. get Davion Mitchell is my favorite player in this tournament. <laughs> my favorite player in this tournament. And goddamn, in the NBA draft, this is a dude you want playing on your team because he's going to get better and better. He's so competitive. He's so tough. There's not a better on-ball defender in this tournament, and he's one of the best defenders I've watched in college basketball in years. He's uh, he's incredible, and 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 you know, for for basketball fans watching what he did, you know, may not have uh, may not have jumped off the page at people, but the end of the Arkansas game, Scott Drew essentially said, "Okay, Davion, you take the ball. We're going to run the clock down to about ten seconds, and then you dribble drive, and you're either going to get a bucket or you're going to kick it to Teague for backbreaking threes." And that's what they did. He would drive, the defense would collapse, he kicked to the corner, Teague hit two straight threes, game over. Um, he's he's been phenomenal. The backcourt, um, and I, I can't remember if we talked about this, but you know what they did to Wisconsin and Villanova, Arkansas is kind of loosey goosey with the ball, regardless. Right. But Wisconsin and Villanova, folks were one, two in the country, actually entering each time they played Baylor, they were number one in the country and fewest turnovers. And in the Wisconsin game, they turned them over 14 times in the Villanova game. I think they turned them over like 12 times in the second half, 16 they total get after you in the backcourt. And that's, what's going to be so intriguing. And I, I really, you know, once again, we'll get to the betting here. I would be bummed out if we don't get this matchup. I don't, Look, uh, this isn't disparaging Houston or UCLA. Congrats on the run. Get the hell out of the way. We deserve Gonzaga Baylor. We were supposed to get it in December. COVID uh, obviously reared its ugly head, and, and, and we lost that game. But this, these are the two best teams in college basketball. I'm glad Baylor is back to pre-COVID shutdown form, and uh, I feel like both these teams are rolling right now. I, I honestly feel, Kevin, you know, Baylor maybe not to the full tippy-top level that they were in January, but Gonzaga's never played better than they are playing right now. Oh, they're so good on offense. They're so And they're good defensively. What You know, when they – so here's the thing. People – and you get this all the time, you know, especially with Roy Williams retiring, and I, I heard what you said, I think it was yesterday's pod, talking about, you know, Roy Williams and, and, and how maybe he wasn't the greatest tactician, but he got – a ton of he players. wasn't a great defensive coach. It wasn't an emphasis, it, it, and it right. wasn't necessarily for Dean either. And, and I'm not saying one way or the other, but you know, Mark Few has incredible players. Uh, Corey Kispert's first-team All-American will be a pro for about two decades because he could shoot threes. Jalen Suggs is a top three pick. Uh, Drew Timmy may not be a, a you know a great pro, but he'll be in the in the league at some point. But what he did against USC at the start of the game oh, yeah. was fucking genius 
He throws a three quarters court press on them, and USC is deer in headlights. Like, what? What the fuck is going on? We and they were turning the. I think their first six possessions were five turnovers and a terrible shot. I mean, it was it was over before it started. And I was a dummy who took the points with USC. <laughs> I, I thought that was a good spot. I'm like, yeah. oh, they get the Mobley brothers are playing at a high level, and it didn't matter. Drew Timmy at 23. Uh, they threw that court three quarters court press at them. I mean, that was a stroke of genius for Mark Few in the Elite Eight. The back to Baylor, what Baylor did to Villanova over the final 13 and a half minutes was the most impressed I've been by any defensive team in this tournament. They turned him over 10 times, had seven steals, and outscored him 29 to 12. And I, I understand this was not one of Jay Wright's best teams. And, you know, they had a nice little, you know, uh, route to the Sweet 16 game. Um, but as you said, they were not a high turnover team, and, and Baylor turned them over consistently. I just love Baylor's toughness. I think this tournament has really um, – the best defensive teams have advanced throughout. You know, whether it was ba- Baylor and Houston obviously sitting here, you could you could argue they're the two best defensive teams in the field. Um, Michigan played great defense. UCLA's played great defense. USC? USC was very good defensively. Until um, they weren't. And so I, <laughs> I, I, to watch Baylor against Gonzaga from that standpoint, I can't wait to watch it. Um, but I think Gonzaga will have a difficult time stopping Baylor as well. It, it w- it'll be great. Look, here's the thing about Houston. I still can't believe, and Tommy and I talked about it the other day, and a couple of, of you listened to the podcast, and you reached out to me and said, no, you're, you're 100% right. It's funny. I played golf that day with a couple of guys who were coaches in town, and they said, did you see how much Kelvin Sampson struggled against a 1-3-1 zone? I'm like, yeah, I can't believe it. Well, they're not going to face a 1-3-1 zone against Baylor. Um I think Houston's a terrific defensive team, and I love the way they send everybody to the glass. But if they don't offensive rebound, it is going to be a dunk line on the other end because Baylor will turn it around quickly, and Baylor turns you over too, and they're not a great ball-handling team. So this is going to be one of those things where I think, you know, in analyzing it, and, in, and by the way, my, my analysis will be different than my wager. Um, I can tell you that right now. But Houston, you know, has a difficult time out front. Like, I love Jerome. I love the way he, he competes. Um, he handles the ball too much sometimes. Um, Grimes is good, and I, and I love the way he shoots it. I really like Sasser. I hope he's okay. He really got his bell rung in that game the other night. But, man, do they defend and they rebound, you know. Um, and so I, I, I don't – the line to me is a little bit short. You know, at five, and I think that's why the public's pounding Baylor. The Gonzaga line, bottom line, as we segue into the conversation about the gambling on this game, I don't know if Vegas can make a number high enough to get people off Gonzaga. So i i want to I want to focus on the Gonzaga game first because you know this is historical. Uh, how high this number is. It's the highest spread we've ever seen, or I think the highest spread since, you know, the uh, the wooden UCLA days. Really? Uh, in a 72. Final Four? In a Final Four game. Wow. We saw Interesting. 90, 96, we saw uh, Kentucky was a 14-point favorite over Syracuse in the championship game. Uh, but we've never seen it at 14. And there was one comparison that um, 
that that was brought up during our show, which was you remember the '99 Duke team that lost to UConn? Yeah, they were unbelievable. Elton Brand, Corey Maggette, the guy from Trajan Alaska, Langdon. yeah, yeah, Langdon. Trajan. Lang- I mean, yeah. they were incredible. They went 37 and one. Right. First ever undefeated ACC team. Yep. No one thought anyone could beat them, and they lost to UConn in the title game. They were a ten and a half point favorite in the in the Final Four against Michigan State. So what? Three three and a half points less than what Gonzaga is. The difference: Michigan State was a one seed. UCLA is an eleven. And how I compare it, Kevin, as I think you know which way I'm leaning, um, who's better, Creighton or UCLA? I think it's Creighton. I, I think Creighton is is more talented. Zagorowski's better than uh, anybody that they have. They have Ballock. They had Christian Bishop. And Creighton was a 13-and-a-half-point underdog. Right. I think, I, think, I think the line is too short. I do, too. I, I, played, I played Gonzaga at 13-and-a-half, and, a half and it, it's got up to 14. I think it's going to keep rising. And I, you and I, were, were the public's going to— Public doesn't normally like laying big numbers, um, but I, I feel like they're going to be on Gonzaga. And I, I just, I think UCLA, they deserve all the credit in the world. You know, the, the coaching that Mick Cronin has done this year is, is, is really remarkable. When you think back, their, their top recruit, five-star recruit, decides to go to the G League, uh, the point guard Knicks. Uh, their, their best player, Chris Smith, tears his ACL. Uh, they had another player, uh, leave the team for personal reasons in Jalen Hill. Um, and here they are. They're in the Final Four. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. But I believe there was a lot of luck that was involved in beating Alabama and beating Michigan. Those two teams combined to go 10 for 39 from three, and they went 17 of 36 from the free throw line. Ain't happening against Gonzaga. Well, Sorry. The, the Alabama free throws were unbelievable. 11 of 25. 11 of 25. Um, so let me just go back to your Creighton-UCLA thing. You know, the numbers aren't necessarily derived by, you know, is UCLA and – like what would UCLA and Creighton be? You know, what would UCLA – how in this particular situation, there's a lot of matchup discussion when these lines come out. Sure. And UCLA is a better matchup. Uh, I mean, it's a more difficult matchup for Gonzaga. Because they want to slow things down. Yeah, and, and by the way, they can defend. And, 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 and they have a rim protector in Riley, um, <laughs> which, which Creighton well, – we, we th- we thought the Mobley brothers were rim protected. That's too. That, that's fair. That's to, <laughs> that's totally fair. I I also think that Cronin is going to get you know big props over Enfield. Um, by the way, and I'm not saying look the line was nine in that game. Um, Mick Cronin's the best coach. Uh, actually, Lon Kruger was the best coach that Gonzaga faced yeah. in this tournament. Um, Mick Cronin's an outstanding coach. Andy Enfield, you know, had some athletes there. Um, and I actually was intrigued to see what those athletes could do, and it was one-sided. UCLA's going to play a different pace. Creighton wants to play upbeat, and they want to they shoot threes, and they're going to play almost everything, you know, through the perimeter, you know. And, by the way, a lot of, you know, isolation, um, which UCLA ends up with at the end of a shot clock, but they don't start with that. Anyway, my point being this, I totally agree with you that the line, to me, is a little bit short. And I think that's why – but I don't know that if it were 15, 16, or 17 that the public would be all over UCLA. I don't know what that number would be. Here's the thing that worries me. I like UCLA because 
well, no. I think when, when this matchup first happened before I saw the line, I, I thought the line would be 12, 13, 14, 15, some, somewhere in that range. I wasn't sure. But my first reaction was UCLA is going to get run out of the building. But then I just thought, okay, here's the line at 13 and a half, 14. It's been sitting there all week. I talked to my guys last night. They've got four sweats this weekend already. They know they've got four sweats. They need both unders and they need both underdogs, which actually surprises me given given how many underdogs have hit in this tournament, uh, how many unders have hit in this tournament. But they're going to need Houston and they're going to need UCLA. Are they really going to lose five times in a row on Gonzaga in this tournament? Like why if they if they are so if Gonzaga is a lock to cover this number why isn't it higher why hasn't it gone higher faster but let me finish because the one thing you said concerns me like I'm going to give out right now UCLA plus 14 but I'm going to warn everybody if that line starts to climb and it's 15 and a half 16 at game time stay off the game just don't play it if that thing stays there at 14 or comes down, which I don't think it will, I think it's more likely to do what you said, then I, I, I'm, I'm on UCLA for, for size. But I don't feel good about it. I don't know that I felt worse about playing a team if I play UCLA. It's like the comparison is playing against the Chiefs, you know, and, and knowing that it could be – you, you could be sitting there at the end of the first quarter going, what was I thinking? And you could be doing the same thing tomorrow night at the you know under 12 timeout going, oh my God, it's 24 to nine. What was I thinking? But I'm I'm on UCLA uh, on, on on pure you know smell test contrarian, anti-public, knowing what most books in the country will need and w- and knowing what they've needed against Gonzaga all tournament. They've needed the opposite of Gonzaga in every game. You know what's interesting though? It is while they maybe not the opener at 33. While the, while the books need Gonzaga for Saturday night they and need, likely mo- they Monday need UCLA, night. They need UCLA, you mean? Oh, sorry. Yeah, UCLA yeah. my fault. They need they need UCLA to get out of this tournament. They would be fucked if they win a title because they were two hundred to one. You well, know, how many? Uh, yeah, the how, future liability. What's at the exposure? Least I, Do you know? You know it, um, it, I know. I heard uh, someone over at the Westgate Superbook talking about it, like worst case scenarios: UCLA winning this thing. It would be bad. It would be bad because people just keep you know. Right now, the, right now they're twenty to one. Right. So you're going to get people who are going to say, why not? I'll just put 10 bucks on it or 20, 100 bucks, whatever. Yeah. So I think those small bets, they'll they'll need Gonzaga. They need Gonzaga to win the title, actually. Well, they need crazy. Gonzaga tomorrow night to win, by, to win by 10. Right. Actually, what that would, would be perfect. Actually, world, no, it? actually, it'd be better if they won by three and they knocked out all the teasers, teasers too. too. <laughs> well, that, you're right. Yeah. I, I just, and, and you and I, and for folks listening for the first time and, uh, you and I think similarly, and we're always usually on the same wavelength. Well, we our text exchange are just one word. It's just a team. Um, <laughs> and that's usually the way we roll. I just I don't know if it's because I bet USC and I to to what you just said immediately. I was like, this is wrong. This is this is absolutely wrong. I, I also think that UCLA's had a lot of luck 
Um, and that's why I just can't get in front of the freight train that is Gonzaga. So well, let me I, add, let me add to that. I don't think UCLA has been lucky. I think they've 17 been seventeen to thirty six from the free throw line is lucky. Yeah, I, I understand that. Um, they were really good in their comeback against Michigan State. They were great. They've had two and I had UCLA there. They've had two exceptional performers. Actually, I'd throw in, um, well. Hawkes has been the most important player to them because they don't get out of the first round without Hawkes's performance against Michigan State. Johnny Juzang's been incredible throughout. Um, they um, uh, here's the thing: Is Johnny Juzang going to have 28 again in this game? 20, like 28 of the 51. Right. Um, I think Tiger Campbell's played really well. I think Jules Bernard's play well, played well, and Cody Riley has been very quietly important to them. If he um, gets in foul trouble, they're they're. Teams. You're right. Look, I don't. I can't see. They've also UCLA starters have also played 204 more minutes than Gonzaga starters. Yeah, they could be out of gas too. They, I I under normal circumstances under normal circ Tuesday, Tuesday night. night under normal circumstances I'd be on your side. I just I can't. I know. I don't want to play them. I don't want to do it. I, but I took it at 13 and a half. I'm not getting back in. Um, I agree with you. I will probably be on Baylor on Monday night taking the points. And if it gets to right now, it's sitting there at six. Six, right? Yeah. Look ahead line. Um, I would take Baylor. I would. But I, and and could Mick Cronin muck this thing up and make it slow? Maybe. But you know, when Virginia tried to do that, they dropped ninety eight on him. So you know, it's when you get behind Gonzaga you're in a lot of trouble. So for UCLA, they got to get out. They got to make this thing ugly early. And uh, I actually do like the under a little bit in this game, though. Um, the official plays are Houston plus five under 135 and UCLA plus 14 under 145 and a half. So I'm giving out four plays. I'm 12 and 13 for the tournament. Didn't take advantage of what was, you know, an anti-public under tournament. I had a bunch of unders early that worked. Um, I should have stayed on them, um, but you know, whatever. I, I uh, I'm sticking with the, the formula. You know, you got to hit 16 against a 10, and you got to play UCLA plus the points, and you got to play Houston plus the points. I think Baylor and Gonzaga are great teams, not good teams, great college basketball teams, like really up there in terms of the teams we've seen over the years. And I'm praying to see that final, but I'm really hoping that Baylor wins by three and Gonzaga wins by six and the games are under the total. So, um, you know, I think, honestly, I think betting against Gonzaga, really the equivalent is like betting against the Chiefs in recent years. Or Alabama. Or or Alabama. Same thing. It's really hard to do and um, look, if 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 the books lose, it means they will have lost f- uh, four out of five with Gonzaga um, in this tournament. I, personally, I don't think they should have lost the uh, Oklahoma should have covered. Um, they, we had that flagrant foul uh, at the end, um, and and Houston should have covered against Oregon State. I actually had them as a favorite. But, oh yeah, late three. Um, l- yeah, late three, and and then they didn't foul after calling the timeout with three and a half seconds I, to go. The whole thing and that had painful. implication. I had the I had under one twenty nine in that game. Uh, I got actually got a bad number because it went up, and I was like, ah oh, shit. And then they didn't foul. Whoo, right. got there. All right. uh, I'm with you on the. I'm with you, by the way, on Houston Baylor under. Um, you could actually get a 135 and a half at William Hill. Right. Um, so I, I like Houston Baylor under. I know Ken Palm has it at 143. 
Uh, I just, I disagree. I think this is going to be ugly. Uh, I think this is going to be, you know, kind of uh, as the, as they always say, a rock fight. And I think for Houston, uh, I think Kelvin Sampson's smart enough to recognize that they got to slow this thing down. And I also think Baylor, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. There's going to be an emphasis by Scott Drew to say, they're not beating us on the offensive boards. And if that happens, if you're seeing Macy Oteague and uh, Davion Mitchell and, and mullet man mayor racing to the boards to get defensive rebounds, they're not going to be able to get out and transition. Yeah. Although, although, you know, any one of those guys can take it off the glass and initiate the fast break. Um, except for, you know, Vital, um, everybody else can do it. They, they, uh, they're so impressive. I, I've been look. Gonzaga has been a pleasure to watch, a total pleasure to watch. The way you know Gary was on with me this morning. Gary Williams was on, so you can listen to that on the Team980.com. And he just said, you know, Kevin, how many times have you seen teams where all five men consistently are involved in their offensive sets? You don't see it as much. You don't see it at the youth level. You don't see it at the college level. There's a lot of high screen and roll. There's a lot of two man. You know, there's a lot of, you know, screen and roll with three guys just standing spaced on the floor. They got five guys in motion. The ball's constantly moving. They are excellent. They're fun to watch. I actually think, you know, the, well, the championship game, by the way, Tim said something earlier. I want to make sure all of you followed that. The look ahead line is Gonzaga favored by six over Baylor in the final, if that's what we get. Um, if they played Houston, I haven't seen the look ahead. I'm going to guess 11. Nine. Is it nine? Okay. So, it, it, well, um, I'm using one book. It's Circa, where that's where my show's out yeah. of. They opened 10, uh, went to nine. So, actually, Houston support. Uh, Houston, UCLA, three and a half uh, in favor of UCLA, or sorry, in favor of Houston. And then uh, Baylor, UCLA is seven. How disappointing would it be if we got UCLA oh. Houston? Although, oh. although there's true history involved in UCLA Houston in the Final Four. Um, just look it up, young fella. What was the last time you were on? And I told you to. Oh, Hearns Hagler. Did you go watch it or not? I did. Yeah. Was that <laughs> incredible? I think it was wild, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best three, the it best first round in championship hist- history, boxing. Um, but Houston and look, I'd have to go watch this too. I I was not around for Houston UCLA, but Elvin Hayes, the great Elvin Hayes, who gets m- mentioned a lot on this podcast, thirty nine points to end the Lou Alcindor UCLA win streak in the regular season at the Astrodome, and then they played in the Final Four again, and UCLA blew them out. Um, but that apparently was the game, the initial UCLA-Houston game in the regular season from the Astrodome that really was the spark to college basketball becoming a huge television product and then, you know, by extension, very popular in this country. It wasn't before then until Hayes played Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in in college. So Houston-UCLA would bring back a lot of those storylines. You'd, you'd have Jim Nance and, and Raftery and Grant Hill. Grant Hill wouldn't know what he was talking about. By the way, <laughs> I don't know how you feel. I, I can't do that group. I love Nance. He's great. I cannot do the Raftery-Grant Hill thing. It's hard, man. It's not a good broadcast. And the CBS um, the CBS crew with Gumble and Kellogg, oh, God, Seth Davis – Please, Bullis, Bullis. I know, DC guy. but but he, and he's you know what he's really good on television. He doesn't know 
anything. Every single one of my friends, just like they used to do with Jaworski when he's when he was on with Tony, but even more so with Seth Davis. What did Seth Davis say? We just got to go to the op. If we go the opposite, we're in great shape. <laughs> um, but that studio show is not good. It's not good. Zerbiak's actually not terrible. Um, I, I and then the Raftery Grant Hill thing. Uh, enough of, of rat. I know he's like one of the nicest people in broadcasting. He's been doing this forever and God bless him. But I just don't think it's a good broadcast. Do you or not? Uh, it's, it could be better. Um, I don't know. I don't know who I would put on there. I know. Good. It's true. Like, you know, it's, but I like Jay Billis a lot. I know he's not a CBS guy. Um, He's kind of insufferable on Twitter and stuff like that, but I think his analysis going of the to game work? is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Got to go to work. Oh, what, is, uh, what is that about? I've asked Scott uh, before. He goes, I don't know what it's about. Actually, I think the first time I mentioned it to him, he goes, I don't even know what you're talking about. And then he called me back. He goes, yeah, I don't know. They're rap lyrics maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know what the perfect booth is, but uh, it's not. Yeah, I, I agree. It's not. It's it's they're they're fun. Yeah, it's, Jimmy yeah. Grant, Minute Man, <laughs> and Baylor's going Minute Man. I can't. I just. It's it's a it's a bit much. Um, you know, I'm looking up what the teams are over the over the course of the. We need, uh, to, we need to get Gus Johnson back. You know what? There. I I like Gus Johnson. I, I, I love him. I, I mean, I think Gus I Johnson's still to this great. day. One of my favorite calls is the uh, Vermont win um, over Syracuse in overtime, 2004. TJ Sorrentine. Oh, Sorrentine! <laughs> Hit that one from the parking lot. I mean, he's it, I, I guess, the passion he brings is just. I like it. I, I I enjoy Gus Johnson's calls. I love when he loses his mind. To me, it's I that's do, fun. I I, 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 I agree. I everything you know, doesn't need to be all buttoned up. He's not everybody's cup of tea. And like I, I had Buck on last week on Saturday. Buck spent like an hour and twenty minutes with me on the podcast. If anybody missed that, go listen to it. It was great to talk to Buck for an hour and a half. Steve Buckhans. Buckhans has quite the um the broadcasting, you know, uh, tree. Um it includes, among others, Scott Van Pelt and Gus Johnson. Gus Johnson worked for Buck at Channel That's Five right. in DC. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were talking about guys that are really over the top. I'm not, I'm just personally not a big, you know, Kevin Harlan fan. I know a lot of people are, but to me, every single call sounds like it's the final call of the national championship game. And that gets old to me. With that said, I do like Gus Johnson. And every a lot of his calls sound like, you know, they're, they're the final call of a national championship game. But for whatever reason, I like it better coming from Gus Johnson. I can't can't really explain it to you, um, but uh, that's how I feel. I, I can't even think of who would be um, – I, I, like, I, I can't remember even who's called some of these games. You know, the studio with, with Kenny Smith and and Seth De- – um, and, um, and Andy Katz and Barkley, but really, you know, Ernie, Kenny, and Barkley, I actually don't mind it at all. I, I don't care that these guys don't know and haven't watched these teams all year long. When they watch a game, they know what's going on in the game. So when you get them at halftime and post game, you're getting more analysis than you're getting on CBS. I mean, Seth Davis, God bless him. He's, he's, he's a handsome dude. He's a terrific communicator and broadcaster. You're not going to learn anything about basketball from him. 
You know, I, I don't, I, right. I, I but so, which, which, by the way, maybe that's the point is that most people that are watching aren't there, you know, breaking down whether or not he understands that they were in zone more than they were in man or whatever. Um, oh, I'll tell you who I liked in this tournament. I thought Avery Johnson was good. And I think and then, Jim- uh, he was with Nestler, right? Yeah. And I think Jimmy Jackson's good. Jimmy Jackson was good. I like, uh, I'm really a big uh, Brian Anderson fan. I think he's really good. On he's play good. Play. Jimmy Jackson really knows the game, and so does Avery Johnson. They were all good. Anyway, we're, we're, we're rambling on. Um, <laughs> I've got a podcast tomorrow, and unless he doesn't post, my guest will be Billy Packer. So I'm going to have Billy on the show tomorrow. I'll try to get that out fairly early tomorrow morning. Um, as sort of a bonus podcast, although we didn't do one on Wednesday. Um, But Billy Packer um, to talk, you know, not only just college basketball, but really about his incredible career because Billy Packer is, to me, in terms of the analysts in college basketball over the years, pretty much the gold standard. Nobody called more college Final Fours and championship games than Packer, whether it was with NBC, with Dick Enberg and Al McGuire, or with Brent Musburger on CBS, or for so many years with Jim Nance on CBS. So uh, look for that tomorrow. Um, As always, um, if you haven't subscribed, subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything. It helps us. And if you haven't rated or reviewed the podcast, um, if you don't mind taking literally less than 50 15 seconds to do that. That would be great as well. Timmy, as always, uh, we plan on doing 20, 25 minutes, and it just keeps on going talk, and going. Talk D.C. But, college, high school basketball. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, if you're still listening. Yeah, uh, <laughs> God bless you. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank all right, you. <laughs> enjoy the Final Four. Are you going to be watching it from the Circa? Uh, no, I'll be at my house. All right, good. Um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're – you're, see, Timmy goes to work in a casino. I mean <laughs> – it is sports book. What's better than that? Um, it, it, look, you don't see a lot of sunlight. I can tell you that. No. Uh, but you got. I don't need it. I'm a ginger, so you know. <laughs> exactly. Stay away from the sun. Fair skinned. All right, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. See ya. Back tomorrow again. Hopefully, the plan is with Billy Packer. Um, as long as he doesn't, uh, you know, miss out on it. He told me he'd be available. So hopefully, we get that done for tomorrow. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.